Welcome to the New Birth Baptist Church Pulpit Podcast, a weekly service brought to you from the sanctuary of New Birth Baptist Church in Walnut Cove, North Carolina. We pray these messages and these sermons will be a help to you in your daily walk, and we look forward to you subscribing and coming back every day. May God bless you and have a wonderful day. Amen. I've been talking about different things in remembrance um, lately, not all of them, but just different things that are uh, that are putting us in remembrance. Had the message out of Peter that he said that he would not have us ignorant, and John said he wouldn't have us ignorant. Paul said he wouldn't have us ignorant, that he wants us to know, wants us to remember. Um, and so I'm going to do the same thing tonight. Uh, I'm going to bring a, hopefully a message of, of remembrance, uh, refocus, redirecting of our minds, uh, to not lose sight of of what's really going on outside uh, with people, uh, what's going on inside in the church, uh, how we, how we um, deal with people, work with people, uh, help people, don't help people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought about doing something tonight, and I decided not to do it, but I was going to come in here in my coveralls, um, my work coveralls, and uh, zip it up over my suit and, and just come in and present myself that way because I guarantee you, you would have looked and said, that's different. And uh, what's he doing that for? Why is he wearing that? Um, and then I was going to stand up here and not say a word to you and just preach with my coveralls on. Um, and then I think you would have noticed during the message why I did that. And I was going to eventually take them off and present myself in a different site. Um, because when we come through the doors of the church, a lot of times we are looking outward. Uh, at least the church is as a whole. Maybe you're not as an individual, and if you're not, that's wonderful. That you're not paying a bit of attention to the outside of what people are when they come through the door. Um, but that's the first thing we see a lot of times. Uh, it was funny that one of the preachers stood up and talked about the qualifications for, for being a Baptist preacher. And a of course, they were making fun of these requirements because there ain't but one, and that's the call from the Lord. Everything else after that, man creates. But the ultimate reason that a, that a man is going to preach is because God has asked him to and commanded him to and told him to. But they came up with these funny ones. One of them was you got to have a tie on. Can't preach without a tie. I mean, you just absolutely can't do it. It's not permitted. Uh, if you stand up and if you come to church and like I... I I'm not going to say that because I'm just going to. That's happened to me. That's happened to, that, that statement has actually been made in a church that I was in before. That if you just, if you don't want to preach, just don't wear a tie. And they won't let you. And I was just like, really? So anyway, making fun of it. Next one is you got to learn how to hack. You know, I can't hack. You know what hacking is? We get going and preaching uh, and uh, going like uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, the Lord, uh, and uh, that's hacking. You got to learn how to hack to be a Baptist preacher. No, I don't like that. No. Um, and I'm trying to think of what the other one was. But anyway, they came up with these qualifications to be a, a Baptist preacher. And uh, C.T. Townsend in one of the messages went through and was talking and started imitating Joe Arthur. And he was all over the, 
just all over the stage, flapping his arms and doing all. And he was sitting there. Joe Arthur was sitting there. So he was able to do it in a, in a very jovial, friendly way. Um, but qualifications, outward appearance, inward conversion. So tonight in James chapter number 2, we're going to read. And I, this, these are familiar verses to you. James is the one that marries faith with works. He doesn't dis make a distinction between the two per se. He marries them up. Um, you know, if you go back to the book of Ephesians, it says, if for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. So some people have said that Ephesians and, and James are in contradiction. No, they, they marry up perfectly. Because you've got to take everything in context. What he's talking about in Ephesians is that for you to be saved, you've got to surrender yourself 100%. There's nothing about you that is going to save you. There's nothing you can do that is going to save you. But once you're saved, verse number 10 kicks in. For you are saved unto good works. Not by them, but to them. And that, we have to make that distinction about faith and works. And James does that. He, he sort of takes it. Now, I want you to understand, James is the oldest New Testament book that we have. James ought to be in the, before Matthew, Mark, and Luke, chronologically. Ain't that amazing? Because James is actually addressing the early church. Now, when I say that, when I'm going to say the things that I'm going to read tonight and say the things that I'm going to say uh, in commentary to that, Look what was already taking place in the early church. It's not a new thing. It's not a modern-day Christian church issue alone. It was in the early church. When I say early, I'm literally talking probably 60, 70, 80 A.D., maybe even before that. Because you know when the New Testament church started, Christ went away, sent the Holy Ghost and told us to, gave us the command to go. Well, at that moment, you'll read in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, which we will be in tonight, you will see that the early church began. And so John is already having to counsel, already having to instruct the early church on one particular thing. Um, and I think the reason, if you think back why he's having to do this, is there was such a distinction between the Sanhedrin, y'all know who I'm talking about there, Sadducees, Pharisees, and the scribes, there was such a distinction in class, if you're following me here, with that religious group from the common people. I mean, the Sanhedrin, boy, they were decked out, dressed out. They, they marched around in this nice little group all the time, flaunting that they knew it all, that they were the, the, they were the doctors, per se, meaning that they knew everything. And what they didn't know, they made a law and made a, a, a bequeath another way of doing it so they could say that we know how to do this. This is what God really meant. So they're walking around really flaunting their religious piety, uh, saying that they're in touch with God, but all, there are, all they're in touch with is themselves. So there was a big distinction between the Sanhedrin and the common people, not a lot of people in between. So James knew that in Christianity now that some of that, those same characteristics of the religious elite and... The, the common poor were going to still exist because when that happened, they weren't just going to cut everything off and start all over characteristically in, them, in who they were. So James is now saying, listen up. 
there's no longer this distinction, this false distinction between the religious elite and the common poor. Everybody's equal at the cross. The cross has now made us one. The work of Jesus has now made us the church where there is no distinction, religiously speaking, amongst the, the hierarchy. We all have different responsibilities, but I am not like the Sanhedrin standing up here behind my podium who tell you what to do, and then I go do what I want to do. That's not the way it works anymore. I could come down off this podium and sit in that pew because I'm just like you, just with a different responsibility. So James is now having to, to instruct. So listen to what he says in verse number one. He says, my brethren, see, he's talking to, it's us. He's, he's, he's not distinct in, uh, being distinct about him being different. They're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. Right off the start, he says, we need to consider how Christ would do this. That we not have the same mind that we had before that we not have the same ideas that we had before, but that we have literally the mind of Christ. Paul says that in Philippians, that we have the mind of Christ, that we conform and convert ourselves to the image of Christ. So we have his mind. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou, stand thou there, or sit here under, thy, under my footstool. What is, he's basically saying is there's already a problem in the church. Already a problem in the church of differentiation of people and their status. Their status. And that's what they're looking at on the outside. So it says, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. Don't, don't, don't mess with that word gay. It has taken on a totally different meaning in the day that we're living in. I'm not talking about somebody coming in here dressed in a homosexual manner. I'm talking about coming in here dressed like I am. This is gay clothing, okay? This is dressed up. And there's nothing wrong with me dressing up. There's nothing wrong with me having a tie on and wearing a suit every time or practically every time that I preach, especially on Sundays and when I go to different churches. But there's also nothing wrong with you coming in here in your coveralls and you coming in here in your blue jeans and you coming in here in your T-shirt. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, I will say this. The Bible is clear about instruction of, of how we should dress appropriately. I don't think anybody's going to come in here in a bathing suit. I'll tell you a story about a church. He said he would never do it again. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? Church up in Virginia. I'm going to say this, and you're going to know real quick what the issue would be. They decided to have beach day at church. He said, never again. Because it was a community event. So they came to church like they were going to the beach. Now, have you been to the beach lately? Well, I'm sure you've seen pictures. We go, we go to the beach. That's not us, another Baptist thing. Coast versus beach. Still the same water and the same sand, same location. But they're talking about what they mean is that the beach is a party time. The coast is a vacation time. That's what they're trying to make a distinction on. But he said never again. 
would they have a beach day because people could not control themselves about what they put on. So again, right in the beginning, he's trying to look at them and say, don't look on the outside. Don't judge. Don't be critical. Don't be assuming that because they have this set of clothes on that they're this and this set of clothes on that they're not. Listen, I tell you what, up, up in Stokes County, there's some, there's some millionaires up there that if you looked at them, you'd never know it. I said, don't dress that way. Right, Pat? I mean, it, outside means nothing to God. Now, are we to be respectful in our clothing? Sure, because I think we know how to be respectful. At least we should. Because when that conversion takes place, there ought to be a conviction. And it goes on down. It says, verse 4, Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? He's saying, have you basically taken on a higher rank than you should about what you know and what you don't know simply because of what you see? He says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? Now, I, I, I highlighted those because I sat there and thought about them for a minute. And I'm probably, this might take us off Facebook for a few days, but I will be back. That's the government. How do all these politicians get rich? being a senator, being a congressman, paying us what, I mean, they, they, make a, they make a good salary just for that, that particular job, but you do the math. It don't add up to the tens of millions of dollars of worth that they're worth. So it comes from somewhere. So are we not oppressed by those that have? Sure we are. Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? Are we not seeing that today? Had one congressman said that God doesn't belong in the House of Representatives anymore? That he doesn't, he doesn't rule in there anymore? Verse 8, if you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. You can go read in Mark chapter 12, Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus is asked that very question. Of all the commandments, which are the greatest, which is the greatest? And Jesus, with his wonderful answer, sums up all of them in two. Love the Lord thy God and thy neighbor as thyself. He took the first five commandments and said, love the Lord. He took the last five commandments and said, love your neighbor. Because that's the way they're divided up, essentially, when you go read them. And so he's, he's basically looking at them and saying, remember the word of God, people. Verse number nine, but if you have respect to persons, I want you to read those next three words out loud. Ye commit sin. Partiality in the house of the Lord, James calls out as a sin. Just the, par just the, just the outward partiality that, we, that the church shows is inhibiting the Spirit of God to move because sin is in our presence. Think about that for a minute. Now, this goes for all of us. Every one of us have had a thought at some point in our Christian life of watching somebody come through the door and thinking something. If you haven't, God bless you. 
I'm just being honest. Because we see somebody come through the door that we know and we know their lifestyle and we go, just ain't going to happen. They're never going to change. We know some people thought that about you. But there's no way. And then we'll have somebody else come through and they come through and they're all happy and puffed up and dressed nice and you'll go, because you don't feel as good today. You're like, well, here comes that bubbly little happy thing. Always happy, always smiling. I wish she would, I mean, come on. Just being honest. That's a sin. Let's just call it what, what the Bible says it is. That as soon as you look at somebody, you start making a thought or even an action, and you start maybe bumbling and mumbling between you, it's a sin. And are convinced of the law as transgressors. Wow. For what whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. We've heard that before. You sin against one, you've sinned against them all. There's, I mean, and he goes on to explain it about adultery, and he goes on to explain about, about killing. That maybe you haven't committed adultery, but if you've gone out and committed murder, or you maybe haven't committed murder, but you've gone out and committed adultery, you're guilty. But I am so happy that whether we have committed any of these or not, they're, they're under the blood. God sees it totally different. And I go on and I read here, verse number 12, So speak ye and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. What does that mean? Whatever you say, you need to do, and that everybody has had an opportunity to be made free. Where does all this come from? Well, if you go and read in Galatians chapter 3, and I'm not going to go there, but you can jot down this and go read it later, it talks about the law being our schoolmaster. What does that mean? It's our teacher. Think about this. If, if we didn't know what was right and wrong, then how could we be held accountable? Think about this. If we didn't know, and be honest with you, in the beginning, God told them to not partake of that tree. When they did it, they sinned. They knew right and wrong. But after that, so many other things the people started doing, and he started to see how they were acting, and the primary thing was they cre were creating idol worship. They were not worshiping God anymore. They knew who God was, but they were creating idol worship. And so what does he say? He says, well, man, I got I to gotta set the law straight here. I got to put the law down. And he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And after that, the people of Israel knew, thou shalt not. So once you know thou shalt not, can't plead ignorance. And Paul tells us that in Galatians, that once, the, once right and wrong is known, you're held responsible and held accountable. That without the law, there was no knowledge of sin because you didn't know right from wrong. But once the law came, there was a knowledge of sin. But now, guess what? The schoolmaster is, is schools out because of the cross of Calvary. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer under the schoolmaster. We're under grace. We're under mercy. We have the convicting power of the Holy Ghost living inside of us that is going to be our schoolmaster now. Not the law, but the grace of God, the mercy of God, the, the power of God, the speaking of God, and the Holy Spirit. So he says, whatever you say, you better be doing. 
If you say that you have faith, you better put some works to it. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Verse 14, what doeth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful in the body, what doeth it profit? The world will call this, this is what the world says about the church today. And I'm going to just lay it out. This is what the world says about the church today. They ain't nothing but a bunch of lip service. They say, I'm going to pray for you. And I can, I'll pray for you, Pat. God bless you. Good luck. That's what the world sees the church is today. Not putting any feet, not putting any works, not putting any effort, not putting any kindness not doing what the Bible says do. Look at what it says. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. That's what the church sees today. They see us talking about our faith in God. They see us talking about our faith in Jesus Christ. They see our faith in the church. But they don't see the works associated with it. Now, I wrote down in my Bible, because in Acts chapter number 2, there's a, there's a huge misinterpretation, misapplication, misuse, believe it or not, of God's Word today. People make God's Word say what they want it to say based on what they want instead of making their life do and say what God's Word says. Acts chapter number 2 talks about the early church coming together and selling all that they had and having everything common Basically, they, they took all their resources and they, they pulled them together. The, the left is trying to say that that is socialism. Giving, taking from and giving to. Nobody took it from them. Nobody made them do it. Nobody took mine and redistributed it to others without my consent. What's happening today well, again, might be off Facebook. It's taxation without representation. Taken from all of us to distribute to those that just don't want to. That's, that's socialism. And socialism, I believe, will be the mindset of the end times. I think it'll be the, tel the tool of the devil to get ready. But faith without works and all of that has nothing to do with um, this commonality thing. This has to do with you as an individual. It says, yea, a man may say, verse 18, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. Works sort of begin to, and I hate to say it this way, but prove that you are who you say you are. If I say that I'm going to pray for you, that's a good thing. But if I know that I have the ability to also go beyond that, maybe not immediately. There's nothing wrong with me being on the phone with somebody saying, yes, I'll pray for you, but I need to go back to them later on and say, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do to help? And they may say yes, they may say no. Pride sometimes doesn't let people say they need help. 
So maybe we need to seek them out every now and then and put some works to our faith. Now, this is not a promotion of taking the church's funds and just depleting them, everything that we have. We have to be good stewards of what God has given us. We're not a bank. We're not a redistribution point. But we are a church of the Christian faith that better have some works associated with their faith and put some legs to some of the things that we do. We do that through our missions. We put a little work into our faith by taking your funds and redistributing them out to the missionaries. Faith and works. We believe that God wants us to do that, and therefore we do it and benefit somebody else in need. We have had times here where somebody has come through the door of the church and they won't help, and we've helped them. We have had people bring folks to us and say, you need help. They need help. What can we do? We did that for a family one year for Christmas. Not going to say that either. Sherry says, just don't say it. Sometimes we have to do the faith and works and not look for the return. You hear me? It's not about the return. It's about being obedient to what God has asked us to do. What happens after that really gets taken out of our hands. We have done what the Lord asked us to do. We have put works to our faith, and we have put the ability or the possibility in somebody else's hand that needed help to do something with what we've given them. Now, what they do with it after that, it's out of our hands. But it does not negate, negate the responsibility that us and the church have to continue to do, but to do it in an appropriate way as being good stewards of God's grace and his gifts that he's given us. So, so James is reminding this church to say, listen, you're going you're to have times in your life that you're going to do and do and do, and you're not going to see anything back. It's not like going to the grocery store spending $150 and getting $10 worth of groceries back, which is about what you do today. I mean, you get something back. That's, we can't be looking for what comes back because, again, somebody's got to sow the seed. Somebody else has got to water it, but who in all of this is going to give the increase? Not us. We can't make a plant grow. I do not have the power. You say, well, I do. I put it in the ground and it grows. That wasn't you. If, if, if you went out there and waved your hands over that plant and watched it grow, then come see me and we'll talk. But all you did was put the seed in the ground. I had a preacher say this past week about seeds. He says, you know what? The only seed that don't grow is the one that stays in the barn. It ain't going nowhere. It ain't going to grow anything until you put it in the ground. How many seeds do you have sitting around the house? How many seeds do you have in the freezer? How many seeds do you see sitting in the store? And all they're doing is sitting there, but you take it out of that pouch and you put a little water and a little sun and a little dirt with it, look what happens. Same thing for the Christian church. What we have in our coffers, what we have in our power, what we have in our ability has to be planted before it's going to do anything. Now, we have works to do around this church. Me and Daryl, John talked about that today. Things have got to be done here. 
I mean, we're supposed to take care of God's house. They, they were actually criticized in the Old Testament for taking care of their own house before the house of the Lord was taken care of. And so we have that responsibility, but I think we have the ability beyond that responsibility to help others, but to do so appropriately. Listen to what it says as we keep going. That verse 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So don't set yourself up on a, on a high horse and saying, I got my faith in God. Well, guess what? So does the devil. If the devil has faith in anything, he has faith in God. What do I mean by that? He knows God's going to do what God's going to do. He's already seen what God can do and will do and knows that his end is, is near. He knows that's going to happen. He knows as much about that as we do, if not more. He probably knows some better, more details about what's going to happen to him than we do. Because if they had a conversation in heaven between them about Job, I bet they're having a conversation about the end times too. We don't know what's going on in heaven. All I know for a fact is that God has asked us to show our faith. We believe, verse 20, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? saying you believe in God, okay, now show me. That's what James is saying. Don't just tell me. Show me. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he was, had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? There was works involved, right? There were works involved in that. But faith in God came first. Do you think that Abraham walked up that hill and did all that he did without faith. Do you think he got to right here without faith? No. There was a lot of faith before the works came. It even says that Abraham was, yes, justified by his works, but it was by faith in the beginning. Faith first. Faith in the beginning. Faith always. So faith has to come first, but then those works better come. 22, verse 22, seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect? Because by his faith and by his works, look what God did. He stopped him. And he presented his own sacrifice. And that's what you and I have today. We have to take that into the context of the modern, modern Christian. That if we are willing to get right here with our faith, and we are to take that next step with our works, what are we going to unleash from God after that? Because we had faith, and because we put the faith in action with our works, it unleashed God's power. Do you, hear, do you see that now? How that, how John, excuse me, how James's instruction to the early Christian was a, was a mirror, a picture of what Abraham had already done of faith and works. That you and I can unleash the power of God, not only with our faith, but with the works that follow. And he says here, he's addressing it primarily here to the works of helping others. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Why? Because he put his faith in action, and therefore righteousness was imputed unto him. Just like today, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. After that, the works better follow. 
because that's how we achieve our righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith alone. And he's not talking about salvation justification. He's talking about justification of proving your faith to, to the world out there. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? Now look, if a prostitute can have faith and put works to it, think about that. Surely the Christian can. Verse number 26, and I'm going to have something to read here. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. We've got to put some legs to this church, folks. We've got to put some legs to our Christian faith. I love reading Matthew Henry. I got his books out again. Because I'll sit there and I'll read something and I'll, it'll just enter into my head. What does, what does Charles Spurgeon say about that? I wonder what Matthew Henry says about that. I wonder what um, all these other commentaries, I wonder what they say about that. And once in a while, I'll go read one. If I don't agree with it, I won't talk, I won't even use it. Because that happens. Uh, and I may be wrong until the Lord reveals to me that they're right and I'm wrong, but that's up to me and him. But in, on, the, on the book of James, two things that, that Matthew Henry says, and I want you to listen to this. You who profess to believe the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, which the poorest Christians shall partake of equally with the rich, and to which all worldly glory is but vanity, you should not make men's outward and worldly advantages the measure of your respect. In professing the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should not show respect to men so as to cloud or lessen the glory of our glorious Lord. However, any may think of it, this is certainly a very heinous sin. Respect of person. Matthew Henry calls a heinous sin. Terrible, vindictive, malicious sin. He says this also, of what importance is it to take care what rule will we go by in the judging of men? If we allow ourselves commonly to judge by outward appearance, this will too much influence our spirits and our conduct in religious assemblies. What he's basically saying is that if we allow the outward portion of who we are to overtake the inward, it's going to change the way church happens. It's going to change the way people want to come through here or not. It says there is many a man, listen to this, this is the, this is the, this is the kicker of it all, there is many a man whose wickedness renders him vile and despicable, who yet makes a figure in the world. And on the other hand, there is many a humble, heavenly, good Christian who is clothed meanly, but neither should he nor his Christianity be thought of worse on that account. Basically saying there's, there's the religious and the rich out there that make themselves visible and known and set themselves up on a, on a, on a, on a, on a pedestal and they're vile and disrespectful, but that person should not be seen any more respect less than the poorest of the poor Christian who is clothed meanly. He's a Christian, but he's the meanest man in the world. He withholds his works. He withholds what he has. The Bible says that we are to, whatever we have in our bowels, what does that mean within us? whatever we have within us that we know that we have the ability to then go help and we don't, that's the mean Christian. That's the vile Christian. That's looked at as God just as wickedly 
as the rich man coming through the door with his nice clothes on, setting himself up on a pedestal, claiming to be somebody. God sees the Christian withholding his ability to have works associated with his faith just as wickedly as the man who has the riches and doesn't give them away. We're in the same boat. The Christian is not seen any differently. In fact, I will say this. If you go read in the book of Matthew, you will see that because we know better, Jesus has said that our condemnation is going to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I want you to let that sink in. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Burned and destroyed. Because of what? Because of, I'm going to let's listen to this. This is going to smack you right in the face. This does me. Sodom and Gomorrah were judged for their lasciviousness, their sexual immorality. You listening to me? Did they deserve it? Sure. But now Jesus looks at us and says, because we have not within us the desire to help and to give and to show forth the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us, he sees us worse than the homosexual and what they're doing. Let that sink in. We are so quick to single one thing out and claim superiority over that one thing in our life. And that's wonderful. I'm not going that route. I don't think anybody in here is going to go that, that uh, just terrible, sinful route. But, oh, I want to bring you back for a minute. The sin in your life, God says, is going to be judged even harder because you knew better. Well, this turned in a little bit of a kick in the pants, didn't it? Yes, preach against the sin of this world, but preach against it all. All of it. Not nitpicking, not choosing what you consider to be the bad sins. Sin is sin. God help us all. Some people think that, oh, they're just waiting for the judgment seat of Christ. I'm ready to go. Let's go. You sure about that? Now, I'm ready with my salvation to go. I'm going. But I am not spiritually prepared to go before the judgment seat of Christ right now. There's some things in my life that he's going to bring out. If I die right now, I'm going to be weeping at the judgment seat of Christ. I won't be rejoicing. I'll be happy where I'm at. But all the things that I did or did not do that God has asked me to do, shown me to do, told me to do, begged me to do, the things he's asked me to say, the places he's asked me to go, all the things that I have looked at him and said no to, that he knows I should have been doing, he's going to ask me about them. And he says, oh my, it's going to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. That's going to hurt. Am I secure in my salvation? You better believe it. Am I secure in my eternal home? Yes. But you know, the Bible says we ought to be doing everything to the glory of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we doing that? Is our faith and our works marrying up such that we can answer the question 
If he looks at us today, did you do everything, everything that you did, did it glorify me? If it did, get up and walk out. You don't need church. You're perfect. We all got a lot of work to do. And James was having to tell the early church these very things. Already, already the things were creeping in, like Peter said, like John and Paul both said, said things are going to start creeping into the church. Well, it started way back yonder. I think it's more obvious today because we, we can, it can be broadcast everywhere. I mean, everything that I say tonight has the ability to go around this world. For every seven and a half billion people in this country, in this world, to be able to hear what I said tonight. That wasn't possible back then. So even more condemnation will come to me today because I have the ability to reach and to say the right or wrong thing. That's responsibility. But it's the same thing for you when you walk out the doors of this church. What you say and do is going to be a reflection of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are his ambassador, folks. What is ambassador? We speak on his behalf. We carry forth his message because that's what an ambassador does. It carries forth the message of which the one that sent him. We have ambassadors to other countries. They're carrying the message of the United States around this world. But you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Marry up your faith and works today and glorify him in all that you say and do. Does the Bible not say that in Colossians? Every word, every deed should be done to the glory of Jesus Christ. Man, we got some work to do, don't we? All of us do. All of us. I have had times in my life that I know that I have messed it up talking to somebody about Jesus. I've gotten into arguments in the past. Wrong thing to do. Ain't going to help nobody. Anything's going to run them off even further. Go read in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Read the verses before that, too, because it tells you what we currently are and tells you what we ought to be, that our spirit of maliciousness and anger has got to go away. And then the fruit of the Spirit of meekness, kindness, love, those things have got to come in. That's faith and works working together. I hope this helps you tonight. I hope it just makes you think. Didn't mean to beat you to death, but I uh, felt like I did. Anybody sore? Um, trying to think of that one last thing that I was thinking about. Um, I know what it was. I didn't even talk about the title of my message tonight, John, and I put it on there. Profession versus practice. You've made the profession. Have you put it into practice? Ronnie Simpson, Sherry knows who I'm talking about, and some others may know who Ronnie Simpson is. Uh, he made the statement that faith and works are like Siamese twins. They're hooked. They're inseparable. Now, today's medical technology, you say they're separable. Well, I'm not, don't mess up my analogy. But I even added something to it. Because how are Siamese twins joined? Something in their bodies is connected. 
Ronnie Simpson didn't say this, Dwayne Young said this, that profession and practice are married up like faith and works as Siamese twins and they're connected at the heart. They share the same heart. So when you share the same heart, Siamese twins can't be separated. Now let that sink in. We can't undo it. God's put it together. What he says about husband and wife, let no man put asunder. You can't separate faith and works.